Lord, we just ask you, bless this assembly as we gather together. We know you will be honoured and glorified in this service by the speakers, the testimonies and tributes like Daryl endeavoured to honour and glorify you in his life. For your kingdom's sake. Amen. I should have uh, introduced him better. Uh, Ray was a close associate of Daryl, especially in the ministry at Carabram in years gone by. So, and he, you'll be hearing a bit more from him later, later on. And I suppose I should have introduced myself, for those who don't know. So my name is Barry, Barry Chant. Uh, Daryl was a youth pastor in our church 100 years ago. <laughs> and, uh, and we've been in touch ever since one way or the other. And uh, Anne, of course, continues to be a very dear friend, especially of my wife's. And uh, also, as we've got to know the family a bit too, it's a great pleasure to be here representing all of them. We're going to sing together. There's a, sing of, a song of praise, and the song is 10,000 Reasons, if you'd like to stand together. And you, you'll notice as we, as we uh, go through it, please stand together. You'll notice that the words really kind of trace the beginning right through to the to the occasion like this, and so it's well chosen and certainly a song that uh, Daryl would be very happy for us to sing. Thanks. Oh dear, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Strength is failing, the end 
draws near and my time has come Still my soul will sing your praise unending Ten thousand years and then forevermore Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul Worship His holy Please be seated. Thank you to the music team from the Living Word Church at Macclesfield. My pleasure and privilege now to invite um, um, Anne and the more attractive part of the relationship. <laughs> um, no, that's not fair. Dara's all right too. Um, <laughs> And uh, then uh, she's going to come and talk for a while, followed by Caleb, uh, their son. So, then, over to you. Oh, other way around? Caleb, follow. Okay, all right. Are we on? We are on. All right. Daryl Keith Stott was born at Narracourt on 8th of March 1949. Fourth child and much doted on son of Thelma and Keith Stott. I'm sure his sisters will testify to the doted on part. Yeah. His dad's brothers had fathered five girls and four girls respectively and Daryl's older siblings were three girls, Glenys, Raylene and Beverly. So Daryl was the only boy to carry on the family line for the Stotts, which he brought up in conversation very frequently. <laughs> Daryl's parents had recently moved from Birdwood to a 130-acre block at Joanna near Narracourt. His dad had cut down trees on the block and dragged the logs to a local mill and had them sawn into planks and used those planks to build a, a four-room house for his growing family to move into. Before he began school, Daryl often accompanied his dad as he worked as a carrier in the local area. He had many fond memories of going in the truck with his dad, who taught him how to change the gears standing on the seat next to him as his dad drove. Daryl also enjoyed the, the country cooking that went with the often offered cups of tea when dad was delivering to the nearby farms. Unless liver was on the menu, I think that was... He also tells the story of being left behind one day, the lady of the house having to get a message to his dad to come back and get him. No mobile phones or even landlines in, in most places back then. 
All of Daryl's schooling was at Narracourt Primary and Narracourt High School. He left school after completing Year 10 and found some work in a shearing shed for a while. When he turned 16, he immediately bought a car and joined some mates who travelled to Esperance in WA to drive tractors for Don March and David Reichstein who were opening up land on the other side of the Nullarbor. They would work in WA for six months and then come back to the Narracourt area for six months. They did this for several years. One year when Daryl was 18, several of them spent the extra six months working their way around the WA coast up to Darwin and then back down to Narracourt. He worked as a barman at the Boomerang Hotel in Perth, passing himself off as a 21-year-old and at Port Headland with a team who were blasting rock for the Goldsworthy iron ore mines there. He liked to tell the story of Mad Mick, who liked to set off the explosions. We still going? Yep. Liked to set off the explosions before the drillers were well clear of the sites, sending them running for cover. Old health and safety. He made good money for a teenager, but spent it all on cars and enjoying life. His first new car, an Austin 1800, he managed to roll within two weeks of owning it. He walked away unhurt, but I think his uh, guardian angel was working overtime during this period of his life. He never seemed to have trouble getting employment. When he was 20, he got a job as a small seed sales rep based in Narracourt for Wright Stevenson's stock agents. The job came with a nice car, and gave him a certain amount of freedom to organise his itinerary. In those days, the 21st birthday was seen as a major milestone in a young man's life. A party was duly organised at the local hall, and uh, I'm sure that Dad revelled in the attention and was the life of the party. His elder sister, Glennis, who had recently become a Christian, was there that night, and she told Daryl about the wonderful love of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, as he put it, thought that she was nutty as a fruitcake. But deep down, he was intrigued. He could see that there had been a change in her. He heard that she was having a weekly Bible study in her home, so he arranged to be in Kingston for work at a time when he could just happen to call in to hear what these strange people had to say. By all accounts, he gave the pastor a very hard time arguing, lighting up a cigarette and generally being difficult. However, he came back again the following week with a very different attitude. During the intervening time, God had allowed Daryl to see a huge demonic head that scared the life out of him. The only way he could get peace was to picture Jesus. At school, there had been a man who told them Bible stories and always finished his talks with the statement that Jesus nailed scarred hands are reaching out to you. So that's what Daryl pictured, and the horrible head would disappear. Then he would tell himself that he'd just been imagining it all, and it was all nonsense, and then the head would come back. After wrestling with this for some time, he surrendered to Jesus. When he went back to the Bible study the following week, he was already a changed person. With his usual boots and all approach, did he ever tell you he wrote a book? He gave up his job 
moved to Mount Gambia where he got another job working at Borthwick Small Goods so that he could be involved in everything at the church. The following year, he moved to Adelaide so that he could attend Crusade Bible College. He got a full-time job working for an engineering supplies company and quickly rose to be a rep for them while attending college four evenings a week. He joined the Rosewater CRC Church where Pastor Barry Chant was the pastor at the time. I lost my place. There we go. It wasn't too long before he was also running a youth group on a Saturday night. He graduated from college in late 1972 and his future wife was there to see the occasion even though she'd never met him as her sister Jill was also graduating that night. Daryl was boarding with Jill and her husband Philip James who was Pastor Barry's assistant at that time. They happened to mention that Daryl, that Jill's little sister Anne, was coming to board with them. He didn't think anything much of it until she arrived. And as they say, the rest is history. Daryl and Anne were engaged in August 1973 and married in January 1974. That was a short engagement. Daryl continued to work for McPherson's and lead the youth group. Shortly after their first child, Nerissa, was born in March of 1975, Daryl felt God was calling him to leave his job at McPherson's and work full-time for the church. Although the church could only pay him enough for about a third of his rent payments, he believed that God would supply his needs and the Lord provided. By the end of that first year, the church had grown enough to be able to pay him a modest salary, small salary. In June of 1977, Daryl and family were back visiting his parents on the farm for a few days. During the night, God gave Daryl a vision. He said, he describes it as being like watching a movie on the wall of a bedroom. He saw the farm with several new buildings on it and hurting people being helped. The words Jeremiah 30 verse 3 dropped into his head. He had no idea what that reference said and had to go and look it up. It says, I will return you to the land of your fathers. He was left thinking, well, that can't happen because my dad isn't even a Christian. He won't want that to happen. However, God had other plans. And when Daryl got up in the morning, the first thing his dad said to him was that he wanted to become a Christian. He was then able to share with his dad the vision that God had given him and thus Carabran Rehabilitation Farm was born. Daryl, Anne, Nerissa and two-week-old me, I remember it well, <laughs> moved to Narracourt in December of 1977. God did many amazing miracles during the next 11 years to bring about the establishment of the farm ministry and the church in Narracourt. If you haven't already, you can read about that in Dad's book, Boots and All. Did he ever mention that? Yeah. In 1989, the family went to Kangaroo Island for uh, Daryl's long service leave. When they arrived, they discovered that the pastor of the local AOG church had recently been badly injured in an accident and would not be able to continue. This meant that Daryl was soon in demand for ministering to people, even though he was on leave. 
By the end of his three months leave, he felt God was calling him to move to Kangaroo Island to help out for a while until a new pastor could be found to take on the church. Carabran Farm was handed on into the capable hands of Pastor Dean Childs and Daryl got the chance to do lots of fishing and made some more wonderful friends. Towards the end of that year, Daryl was approached to take on the Wyala AOG. The church had recently had a difficult time and dwindled from 300 to about 70 people. Always one to take on a challenge, he moved the family to Wyala in December, ready to start in the new year. Not being aware of the extent of the financial difficulties and other problems faced by the church before he started, it became clear as time progressed that the task was not suited to his skill set and he resigned after two difficult years. However, Daryl didn't feel it was the right time to leave Whaler, so he began a new church. For the first few months, they met in the local theatre, but that closed down, so they moved to the pub across the road, which I remember Dad thought was absolutely fantastic. They met in the piano bar each Sunday morning, and the blokes would go to the pub on Friday night to share Jesus with anyone who was willing to talk. During this period, John Poyser, who was pastoring the CRC church and the local Baptist minister, were very supportive. Pastor John was happy for Daryl to return to the CRC and have two very different CRC churches in town. After a couple of years, the pub installed pokies in the piano bar, so it was no longer available to be used for services. A new venue had to be found. One day, one of the new converts came to Daryl and told him that God had spoken to him and that God was going to give us a church building to use for free. Daryl was a little sceptical, can't imagine why, um, but the following week, the Uniting Church minister contacted Daryl and offered one of their buildings. Since the amalgamation of Methodist, Presbyterian and Congregational churches into the Uniting Church, they were only using two of the previous three buildings. A kindergarten had been built on the same site and even had rooms which were used uh, for Sunday school. The only restriction was that they weren't allowed to charge any rent. All right, when mum and dad left Wyala, I stayed because I'd met somebody much more interesting and good looking than either of them. Um, so I'm going to hand over to mum who's going to uh, tell you about post Wyala, Daryl. After seven years in Wyala, in 1997, Darrell felt that God was calling him to take the leadership of the Hallett Cove CRC Church. And toward the end of our four years there, we saw the church buy the local garden centre with a view to turning it into a church building, which ultimately did happen. It was also, also during this time that we were able to take our first overseas trip to the UK and Europe for a holiday in the year 2000. As always, Daryl made new friends wherever we went. He was asked to speak at an Elam church in Belfast that was built right on the six metre high dividing wall between the Catholic and Protestant areas. At the time, the unrest was pretty bad. The night before the service, Daryl went out with Pastor Jack to talk to the terrorists on the street, asking them to give peace a chance. He was asked for his ID at gunpoint several times that night. A young lad from the church had recently been gunned down at the local video shop and most people in the church had lost family members to the troubles. 
They were very responsive to Daryl's down-to-earth approach to faith. As we left the church after the service with one of the leaders, we noticed armed British military walking across an empty area, sweeping with their rifles. Children were playing in the street. Daryl asked our host, isn't it dangerous for these kids? And us as well. And he says, ah, no. Only if they start shooting. (laughs) On the bus trip in Europe, it didn't take long for everyone on the bus to find out that he was a pastor. When Sunday came, they asked him to hold an impromptu service whilst the bus was travelling along. He shared a few brief words and led them in singing the old hymn, How Great Thou Art. As the trip progressed, we made good friends with a young Coptic Egyptian couple who lived in London. They told us they'd recently done an Alpha course in their church and invited us to stay with them on our last night before flying home. They took the opportunity to ply us with questions about how to get the young people in their Coptic church to take their faith seriously. Another older couple, he was a nominal Baptist and she was a Jew, invited us to visit them in San Francisco, offering a place to stay and a car to use. The following year, Daryl, feeling that he needed to take a break from pastoring, resigned from Hallett Cove and began renovating houses. We took the opportunity to visit the west coast of USA, visiting our friends, and good as their word, they gave us a big old Lincoln Continental to drive. You can just imagine Daryl relishing the challenge of driving on the other side of the road, especially on an eight-lane freeway in Los Angeles. We got to enjoy the Grand Canyon and Yosemite National Park and lots of new people. In 2006, through a series of unlikely circumstances, we made our first mission trip to Cambodia. We were invited to go and do some counselling training for people gathered from across various mission organisations who were working with HIV AIDS victims. (coughs) Training was not Daryl's forte, but he agreed to go. The Lord prompted Lois Wakelin, who at the time was lecturing in counselling at Tabor, to volunteer to come with us. <clears throat> so Daryl was able to do the inspirational messages and help Lois, who did most of the training. Our connection with Cambodia has continued on since then. With our house renovations, we moved to Victor Harbour for four years, and during this time we did some short trips to some more remote places taking care of a church while the pastor had a break. By 2008, Daryl's back pain made it impossible to continue with renovations, so he decided to retire. We rented a house in Strathalbyn while we built at Macclesfield. After a quiet couple of years, with Daryl getting pretty bored and driving me crazy, (laughs) he was asked to take on the Uniting Church in Macclesfield. Daryl was pretty reluctant to do this, 
and told God that if he was to do it, God would have to fix up his back. There was no instant miracle, but the church began to grow and his back improved such that he no longer needed the strong painkillers that he'd been taking. We continued with the Uniting Church until the gay marriage issue became a problem and Darrell felt that he could no longer work under their banner. In 2019, Living Word CRC Church began in Macclesfield and continues today. Also in 2019, we went on our last holiday together. We decided on a Mediterranean cruise. Daryl's health was such that we were not able to do much onshore activity, but he loved seeing new places and having new people to meet. On the flight to Rome, we stopped off in Dubai for an overnight rest. <coughs> Sorry. I had chosen a hotel at random for us to stay in. We decided to have our meals in the hotel as the heat outside was unbearable. We went to the dining room and it was fairly quiet. So Daryl struck up a conversation with every one of the staff that came our way. <coughs> it wasn't long before we discovered that the hotel was owned by a Christian and most of the staff were Christians. The dining room manager told us that several different churches met weekly in their conference rooms as it's difficult to have a church building as such. The staff all crowded round and asked us to sing. <coughs> we were a bit taken back by that but uh, in the dining room, but uh, one of the guys produced a guitar and serenaded us with Country Road <coughs> and then handed the guitar to Daryl. Daryl handed it to me and we sang, Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place. They were all delighted and a Muslim family seated nearby joined in the fun. They had two little girls who wanted their pictures taken with Santa. <laughs> the parents asked Daryl about his faith and listened intently. It just seemed to happen wherever we went. Daryl was a risk taker, a storyteller and a pioneer. He had a boldness that sometimes surprised others. He loved Jesus <coughs> and never stopped sharing how much his life had been changed by his encounter with Almighty God. <coughs> These last 12 months, which have been characterised by hospitals, doctors' visits and constant medical treatments, he has chatted away and shared his faith with doctors, nurses and fellow patients on many occasions. He could talk to anyone. I remember one day he stopped on the street and had quite an in-depth conversation with someone. They were sharing their troubles with him like a lifelong, lifelong friend. Afterwards, I asked him who it was. I don't know, never seen them before, he replied with a laugh. His care for hurting people meant that we often had people live with us for short and sometimes long periods. Not one to shy away from confrontation, he sometimes got himself into trouble. But his big heart and cheerful disposition allowed him to touch many lives for the better. He was much loved and he very much loved and was proud of his children. But his passion and strong drive to achieve sometimes sent them wrong messages. 
our 49 years of marriage have included li living in many different homes, quite a bit of overseas travel, and many, many wonderful friendships. I'd like to thank everyone here for your love and support for us over the years, and particularly for me over the last couple of weeks. Just before we were married, Lois Wakeland said to me with a chuckle, life will be many things married to Daryl, but it will never be dull. She was very right, it was never dull. Well, thank you very much to both of you. And uh, yes, uh, I know it was never the custom once upon a time to clap at a funeral, but feel free. I think <laughs> there are times when you, you want to do something like that. Did they mention the book that Daryl wrote? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have some copies here today, don't you? Okay, so if you haven't seen the book, um, I saw I'd sell you this one, only it's signed by Daryl, so I wouldn't even think of selling it. But look, it's a book well worth reading. It's a lovely story, and uh, I hope you would enjoy it. So there are copies available somewhere. Oh. Becky and Steve have them over there. $20 each and the money goes to Cambodia, the mission work there. And, and um, I hope I don't get into trouble for doing this, but the last time I spoke to Daryl, just a few days before he died, he told me a story about your wedding day. And he said that when the uh, wedding service was, was just, well, the, the main part was at the end, the vows had all been made and everything, that he said that you leaned over to him and whispered into his ear, gotcha. <laughs> Is that true? Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> okay. So there we are. All right. We have a, I have a short letter here from Pastor Bill Vassar, last... Bill V, who <laughs> is the national chairman of the CRC Church Christian Revival Churches in Australia, and uh, Bill's not able to be here, he's uh, just been in Papua New Guinea, but let me just read you what he wrote. Um, this is actually a circular, I think, addressed to pastors, but you listen anyway. Uh, our entire CRC family uh, pass on our deepest condolences to Anne and her family on the passing on to heaven of dear Daryl. It was my privilege to work closely with him when he was uh, leading for a few years the church we had early planted from the Christian Family Centre. Like all our CIC, CIC pastors who came to know Daryl over the decades, I loved and respected him as a man with strong convictions and whose generosity of spirit was legendary. Daryl will be remembered in his CIC denominational family as the most honourable and faithful man of God. His great big heart for people, his prophetic pastoral and preaching ministry touched the lives of so many. Daryl was one of a kind. We'll miss his big presence, honest, forthright manner, raucous laughter, and the sheer joy he exuded in the service of Jesus. From Narracourt to Macclesfield, Darrow across South Australia in his ministry, always keeping Jesus and his gospel of grace central. He never deviated from his biblical foundations and single-minded focus on Jesus as Saviour and Lord. We grieve with Anne and her family at this time, yet we rejoice that Darrow is free from his pain and suffering and is really enjoying being with Jesus. What a marvellous living hope we have through our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, our risen, risen Christ, as we are assured that he will 
that we will meet our fellow pastor and friend again. I'm presently ministering in Papua New Guinea, so I can't be with you, but you're in my thoughts and prayers. On behalf of our entire CIC Church's international movement, I salute Darastad as one of our beloved pastors. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enjoy your reward in the very presence of the one you have served over the past half century, Pastor Bill Vassilakis. And we also have here today the um, state pastor for the CRC churches in South Australia, who is now jumping out of his seat to come forward and bring you a short uh, greeting from the state churches as well. This is Pastor Hans Vortman, who should be very familiar with this pulpit because he must have preached here a thousand times. Uh, it's a privilege to add my thoughts to those that have already been spoken and to you, Anne, and to Kerry and Caleb particularly as CRC pastors. I bring the greetings and the support of all our movement to you. And uh, for many of you as family and friends, uh, we just uh, remember this man who's been looking down at us the whole time. And uh, Daryl was an amazing man and uh, someone that I was very privileged to to know and serve the Lord with. Uh, I was just with him and uh, just a few weeks ago and it's been my privilege to be in and out of the church at Macclesfield many, many times and to know his heart for serving the Lord and serving that local community has been really special. Not many people take up a church in their 70s and yet that was Daryl. Uh, he, he, he was a man who understood the call of God on his life and who was committed to that all his life. And uh, we share similar roots right back in the old Port Adelaide Rosewater church days. So I can remember many times crossing paths with, with uh, Daryl. Talking of crossing paths, sometimes you cross paths with Daryl too because he was a man of strong conviction and uh, who wasn't scared to express his opinion. And uh, it sometimes went at variance with others, but that was the thing that made him such a colourful and insightful character too. And he was prepared to do things very differently uh, to others. But in that whole process of pushing boundaries and his larger-than-life personality, there was a zest for living and an out-of-the-box thinking that allowed him to do very different things that we've already heard about today. Um, so it's, it's, it's been a joy to serve the Lord with Daryl, and I know I speak on behalf of all our CRC pastors and leaders, that he's one of those guys that... You'd meet at conference and he'd always have a big laugh. He'd always have a story to tell and he'll be deeply missed by all of us uh, because he would bring colour to all that we were as a movement. Uh, his investment into many people's lives will continue to bring effect for generations, I'm sure, to come. And uh, <clears throat> he was, uh, he was uh, someone who sowed himself into people and who was passionate about all that he did. And that passion was uh, in the church in Macclesfield, just as strongly as it was in those early years that I knew him. He never wavered in his faith. He never wavered in what he did. And I'm sure we can all um, understand that for Daryl, serving the Lord was the strongest thing in his life, and he would do that to, the very, to literally his dying days. And uh, he continued to serve the Lord with vigour and with enthusiasm, boots and all. And uh, so it's my uh, privilege to bring greetings from our movement, along with Pastor Bill, and I speak on behalf of Pastor Joe Habermill, our state chairman as well, and all our state executive team. I know they love you and appreciate so much you as a family, 
And for you, um, Caleb and Kerry, as you continue to minister in Wyala, as you continue to minister in and support the team in, in Macclesfield, we, we know that the Stott legacy will continue on through you and through your children into our movement and through all of us as we all carry a bit of Daryl in our hearts. God bless you. Thank you, Hans, for that, uh, that greeting. You're now going to have the privilege of a ministry in song from granddaughter Katie. Um, I was told today that the song is actually a tribute to pop. And I thought, here's a pop song for Daryl. <laughs> Thanks, Katie. It's a, Katie by the, it's a song, by the way, she has written herself, and she's singing it to her, her pop. basically just written all my thoughts and my feelings about pop and what happened to pop and where it is here.
Well, thank you very much, Katie. That was beautiful. We have an opportunity now for um, several people to bring a brief um, tribute to Daryl. I should say by way of introduction that I've preached a number of times at Living Word Church since while Daryl was pastor, and he had no hesitation whatever telling me when I preached too long <laughs> and instructing me next time to cut it down. <laughs> so I warn you, you've all been given two minutes. If you go to two and a half or three, be prepared. There could be an angelic visitation, bolts of lightning, anything. <laughs> Seriously, uh, we do have a lot to get through, so if you could do, you know, keep it concise. And but uh, please make sure you do say what you would like to say. So uh, first of all, we're going to ask uh, Ray Petro, I'll get that name right one day, Ray, um, uh, to come and uh, speak to us again. So we're, and again, Ray is, um, I mentioned, very, very closely associated with Daryl down at Narrow Court. So here we are. Ray, thanks. Daryl would always say that in the first moments of a sermon or addressing a crowd, if you don't strike oil, you're just boring. <laughs> Daryl, for me, had an innate, intrinsic ability to be able to bring the Word of God into people's lives and into, into my life. And, uh, and also, he had rather an amazing humour. And uh, he loved a good joke especially if he was telling it and you were on the end of it. I always, um, for some reason, whenever I get an opportunity to preach, he'd always make a comment on my nose all the time. On the Sunday before Daryl passed away, I was preaching at Living Word. And there he was. I knew I was going to get a nose joke. I, <laughs> he said, and... And can vouch for this that he said my nose was six inches long and when he folded it, and that was when it was folded in half. So <laughs> I had to preach after that. <laughs> Daryl has been described to me by a, um, a friend who wanted this to be said, that he was the lovable larrikin with a heart as big as Uluru. And with Daryl, what you see is what you got boots and all. Daryl, to me, always took the hard track, not the chicken track. In four-wheel driving, there are two tracks. He always seemed to take the hard track, never the chicken track. In chapter 15 of this boots and all, he mentioned that I boasted when I came down to join the ministry that there was dynamite on a stick waiting to be lit. I don't remember but I guess if Daryl said I said that, he did. And he said that I needed a good dousing with a fire extinguisher. It was required on several occasions. Daryl being the fire extinguisher. But I never got a dousing without love, direction, reason or purpose. And uh, Daryl has been my spiritual father, as with many people. And uh, my mentor, my friend, my coach... My counsellor. Who were we gee, sorely missed? And with Daryl, it's never goodbye. 
It's see you later. Thank you. Now also from Narracourt to Stuart Martin. So just describe yourself to me as just a friend, a good friend. Yes, I was with Daryl at Carabran for several years and also at the uh, local church in Narracourt. And I'll just tell you a story that I remember, not a story, it's an actual thing. On several occasions I travelled with Daryl and I can't remember where we went or why, but I remember travelling with him and all the journeys made with Daryl were very short. Time just went because Daryl engaged in conversation the whole trip, not dialogue but proper conversation and so you just enjoyed talking with him for the whole trip and suddenly you discovered you were there. I remember one time I was in the back of the car and some other people there, I can't remember who they were, but he was talking and he kept adjusting the rear vision mirror. Every couple of minutes he'd reach up and adjust it. And I said, Daryl, what are you doing? Can't you see? He said, no. I like to talk, I like to see the people I'm talking to. <laughs> well, that made sense, but probably not good driving habit. <laughs> That's what he did. Every couple of minutes when he was talking to me, he'd change the rear vision mirror so he could see me. He was that sort of person. On other occasions, I'd travel with him from Carabran into the church. I think from memory, it was about 20 or 30 minutes. And on those trips, Daryl didn't have much to say. And one time I asked him, um, you're not talkative today, he said, no, I'm still deciding what I'm going to preach on today in 20 minutes' time. Because he had the ability to, to, to preach at short notice the Word of God, because he knew the Word of God, he knew people, he loved people, and, and he never failed to hit the spot. And he was a friend of mine and part of my life for seven, eight, nine years, and he still is. Thank you. Now, Leif Adams, very good, Leif. Also from Narragore. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> I, uh, I grew up at Francis, which is a little town in the southeast of South Australia, and uh, I met Daryl on the... Uh, G'day mate, you can see him up here too. I met Daryl on the 14th of December 1981. You might ask, how come you remember the, the date? Well, it was because I was actually invited to a gospel rally that they were holding at Narracourt at the time, in the Narracourt prim, uh, primary school. And I grew up in a little town that we had a Methodist church and I expected to go to church, not to school. Anyway, I met Daryl that night and he preached a message that I never heard because I was scouting the crowd and I wondered who on earth was in this building. But I do remember there were 70 to 80 people and they're all holding their hands up in the air, standing on the chairs. And I thought to myself, all these blokes are on drugs. I've never seen a bunch of, such a bunch of happy people in my life. <coughs> a week later, I was invited back to the service again, which is the 21st of 
December 1991, which is a week later. That's all I remember the date. And that was, that was the day or the night that I gave my heart to the Lord. So I'd only been to twice, church twice. But I still remember the message that, that uh, Daryl spoke or preached on. He spoke on being the son of a king. Son of a king. Wow. I could do some of that. Because at the time, my father was, I was a son of a farmer. And by the time I was 17, me and sheep manure, if I can say that, we were on the same level. That's how I was treated. So when, when Daryl said I could be a son of a king, I thought, mate, I could have some of that. So I went forward and I accepted Christ. And Daryl, in his bombastic nature, and me being a, my dad being a man's man, you don't hug, you don't hug blokes, you know, you don't do that sort of stuff. He gives me the bear hug. Oh, man, I freaked out. <laughs> I thought, oh, yeah, now where's the next spot down the shed or what? Anyway, but I'd like to, I'd just like to thank Daryl, you know, because Daryl was such an integral part of my life. He was a man that, uh, oh, God. <laughs> when I heard Daryl had passed, I just collapsed in a heap. I couldn't believe it. <sighs> Hang on. Daryl was the man that led me to the Lord. He was the guy that led me in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He was the guy that baptized me in water. He was the guy that, he was at our wedding when my wife and I got married. He dedicated my three children. What else do you do? Oh, that, and when I, when I became a Christian, when I got water baptized, my mum and dad, well, actually my dad kicked me out of home said, well, it wasn't what we did for you good enough. You know, you're Christian as a kid. Anyway, when I get baptised in water, I had nowhere to go. So Daryl and Anne, in their gracious love, opened up their home. And I lived with them for three or four months. And as you can imagine, I had Bible study every night. <laughs> every night. But you know what? I've been a Christian now for 42 years. And that was the grounding that I got, and I've never walked away from it. So you've got to know that what Daryl's heart was, was in relation to discipling people. And if it hadn't been for Daryl, I wouldn't be here today. Because when I met Jesus, it changed my life. I went from, yeah, from being sheep you know, to the son of a king. So I'd just like to thank Daryl for that, but I'd also like to honour him. He was a great, great guy. Um, and I would just like in closing to say that I can just picture Jesus saying to him when he walked into heaven, and they would have known he's arrived, I can tell you that. <laughs> you, can, you can just imagine it, can't you? Yeah. I'm here, yeah, I know, we heard it, we heard you. Uh, but I can just, I'd just like to repeat the words that Jesus would have said to him when he walked in. Well done, thy good and faithful servant, because he was, he really, really was. Amen. That's good. Thank you. In his book, Darrow talks about a high school student that he met in uh, the southeast in Mount Gambia just after he became a Christian. This is the high school student, David McGregor. I've known uh, Darrow for over 50 years. I was actually at that home meeting his sister's house when Daryl was there reluctantly and belligerently really 
giving Val Crossan such a hard time. I remember him sitting in the club lounge with a cigarette and Val said, would you mind putting it out, Daryl? Took another smoke, puffed it into the air, held it up, dropped it <laughs> on the floor. Stomped it. <laughs> that was his rebellious self. But Jesus got hold of him. And uh, the next week at that home meeting, I was there too, and Daryl was a totally different person. And uh, he and I became great friends. And we, uh, our church was at Mount Gambier, Daryl lived at Narracourt, and he'd come down every weekend uh, and spend the weekend with us. Um, we were inseparable, Daryl and I. He would drive, us around, drive me around in his uh, old Holden, I don't know, FD, FC, Holden. And uh, we had a thing going because uh, he was a few years older than me and worldly wise. I was a naive church kid. So he had a few things to teach me and I was all ears, <laughs> all the stories he'd tell. But I had something to teach him too. Uh, so he wanted to know about Jesus. So I would help him through the scriptures and we'd talk about Jesus. We'd talk about stuff and then we'd talk about Jesus. He, uh, he, he taught me um, that uh, having brakes in a car is not really that necessary. If you know how to change down, you know, you can actually slow down pretty good without gears. And the car that we were driving around didn't have much, uh, of, of much brakes at all. I remember in the back he used to have an old cassette player and we used to play all these songs and uh, there's one song I vividly remember today, uh, the old Tom Jones classic, The Green Green Grass of Home. He loved that song and we would sing it together loud as loud and uh, it struck me just the other day that, you know, that's a sentimental song about death, about going home and uh, you know, we think of Daryl, he's gone home. But in actual fact, Jesus, when Jesus came to Daryl 50 years ago, that's when he went home, isn't it? Actually, home came to him. And he's been at home with Jesus all his life. And now he's not with us, but he's still with Jesus. He's always been with Jesus. And in actual fact, we're still with him because we share the same home. Uh, Jesus said, if anyone loves me, my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. That's, that's God the Father, God the Son, through the Holy Spirit, coming to us to make their home with us. So we often talk about going to be with God, but he actually comes to be with us, and he never leaves us. Even in our physical death, uh, we just open our eyes uh, to the face of God, our Father, and see him in a new and fresh way. So we're not really separated from him. He's not here physically, 
but we're still with him in the Lord. And, you know, there's one more thing to say, of course. One day we will be with him physically. We will be able to give him a hug. I just used to love hugging Daryl. We always had that standing joke when we hugged. We'd say, oh, muscle. And, and then we'd say, oh, very, very, very relaxed muscle. <laughs> and then he'd say very self-effacingly, yeah, if it was any more relaxed, he'd be running down my back. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to the hug. One day it'll come. Thanks, Dave. If you hadn't guessed, David is a preacher. Um, thank you, because I know from the students that I've spoken to that you've taught how much they enjoy what you have to say. But that's, uh, yeah, oh dear, another preacher. Trevor. <laughs> Trevor Pugh, who worked with Daryl for many years. Thank you, Barry. In case you didn't know, my name's uh, Trevor Pugh. I was with Daryl and Anne for seven years. Now, I've, I've put notes down on my phone because I didn't want to go over. Oh, now I've just got to find the phone. Yep, there it is. James 1, verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And this is the reason I met Daryl. After 13 years as an AOG pastor, I felt that door closing. So I started asking God, what should I do? God spoke and I listened. Way back mid-2015, I think it was, Macclesfield Uniting Church advertised for an apprentice pastor. And that ad came to my attention. And despite already being a pastor, and despite it being a uniting church, I was led to follow it up. After prayer with Jan, my wife, and a phone call later, I went to meet Daryl. I found that they already had a person on the shortlist who ended up backing out, but God had put his plan into action. Jan and I both started to fellowship at Flaxley Uniting Church to assist Daryl, resulting, after a few meetings, in my AOG credentials being transferred to CRC. God still speaks to those who listen. Daryl not only listened, he obeyed. And stage two of God's plan led both of us to resign from ministry in the Uniting Church, which led to the birth of Living Word CRC, now meeting in the Macclesfield Anglican Church. See, we never saw a difference in church buildings or denominations as long as Christ was being preached. Darrell thought he had retired in Macclesfield, but in reality, God was preparing Daryl to be refired. For Daryl's work wasn't finished at that stage. I, for one, was blessed to have experienced his friendship, his mentorship, and mateship. If you also had the opportunity to know Daryl, believe me, you were also blessed. 
Now, Daryl knows me, Anne knows me, and most of my messages that I preached always involved planting a seed. There's been seeds planted here today. Just in case you don't know the Lord, talk to someone. I'm sure someone will lead you the right way. Don't let the opportunity go. You've heard everything about Daryl and how he speaks to people. Well, God speaks to everyone. Just open your hearts. Daryl, my friend, my mentor and my mate. In closing with the words I heard in his many messages. My conclusion. Well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you. Thanks, Trevor. And uh, another person also involved in the living word with pastoral work, Trevor Brenton, Brenton Wood. Uh, thanks, Brenton. Thanks, Barry. It's been my privilege uh, the last two years to be uh, at the Living Word Church under Daryl and Anne there. And um, during that time, Daryl became a very, very good friend. Uh, and the scriptures say there's not many fathers in the faith. And I think I can speak for a lot of people here that Daryl's been a father to a lot of people in the faith. And... Uh, my life has changed its whole direction because of, because of him. He led me through the traineeship at the church and the day before he passed away, I got my credential. Oh, no, he passed, the day, passed away the day before. And uh, I wish he was still around, but God had other plans. And uh, I'm really happy for him, but... Missing him at the moment, like all of us. And I thought that was a beautiful song that uh, Katie sung, you know. Wish I could have asked him a few more questions. <laughs> Give him another hug. Thank you, Daryl. And uh, thank you for his family as well. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Brenton. And now another pastor, Richard Snyder, old friend, an old friend for me too. I had first, is that on? Yeah, it's on. I had first met Daryl and Anne, well, Daryl originally, over 40 years ago at an Amiga fellowship. Uh, I won't don't say any more about that, but met him right back then. It was a long time and always knew him and had seen him every now and then. And then um, there came a time when uh, what happens to some pastors, they get into a place called Limbo Land. And uh, that's where I was. And I think this was a similar thing with Daryl. At the time, this was at the time when he was uh, renovating buildings and so forth. And so my late wife and I, we had gone to this jazz festival and, uh, you know, God's uh, amazing how he makes things happen. So uh, I always want to be on time. I hate being late. So this particular time we had got there to come to the conference and we're a fair way away from the, 
from the venue and we sort of walked half the way to get to the venue and then I realised I'd left something in the car so I had to go back and so we ended up getting in a little bit late and so the usher came along and brought us up and sat us down in these two seats and, um, and so we were, you know, we were enjoying the, the, the festival and then I turned around and lo and behold, Daryl and Anne are sitting right behind me or us and I thought, wow, this is amazing. So the long and the short of that uh, is that uh, uh, Daryl uh, and Anne spoke to us after the, the time and we became good friends and we related to each other quite well. And, uh, it culminated in myself and my late wife going up to uh, Macclesfield for about three years and just being assisting there, Daryl, in that early stages of the church growing. But my dear friend Daryl, he was a man of God. He was a man of the word of God. He had strong convictions and strong opinions. Sometimes that could become a little bit of an issue at times, but he, he always knew what he believed and what he wanted. And he was a gregarious man, fond of company. He loved to be with people. He loved social activity. He cared about people. He was always prepared to spend time with people and to minister to them and to encourage them, to lead them to the Lord Jesus. To the Lord Jesus. And, and, of course, he has mentored many people over the years. And he had just that compassion for people and very gracious in dealing with difficult issues in people's lives. Daryl was a dear friend to me and um, we just did enjoy, enjoy each other's company. He was a very good friend and we visited quite regularly him to, uh, to us and us to him and Anne and uh, I'm going to deeply miss him. He, he's a, he was a good, a good great brother and and I just know right now he's rejoicing in the presence of the Lord Jesus and uh, one day, perhaps we'll all be in that position, but Daryl is rejoicing in the Lord right now and he's been relieved from that pain and any suffering and discomfort that he's had and he will be dearly missed. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I think that's all of the... Uh, people are going to bring tributes. I would just want to add one little comment. Um, as you've heard already, uh, Daryl and Anne were with my wife Vanessa and me in uh, Rosewater back in the 1960s. Um, and uh, I can still remember the um, eagerness and the avidity with which Daryl reached out to learn the scriptures and, and so on. And the thing now that, uh, that more recently that struck me was I'd go to Living Word, and it's, it's 60 years later, and Daryl would say, do you remember when you said so-and-so and so-and-so? And I thought, what? <laughs> he still remembers after all these years, and I know what's going to happen when we walk through the Golden Gates. He's going to say, hey, Barry, do you remember that time? <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. All right, we must move on here, and uh, thank you. I know how frustrating it is for preachers, especially when you're given two minutes, but you all did... You have all done very well and I appreciate your consideration there. Now we have something really special. Uh, the um, Stott family junior, if I can call it that, um, are going to come and bring us a musical presentation. They're going to sing about the name of Jesus. So we've got um, Kerry who's going to be on the keyboard 
then Hannah and Katie are going to be singing, and Hayden's going to be playing the guitar. So, we all there? And this the song, We Sing Jesus. I'm going to come down for this. I just want to speak the name of Jesus Till every dark addiction starts to break Declaring there is hope and there is freedom I speak Jesus Your name is power, your name is healing, your name is love. Break every stronghold, shine through the shadows, burn like a fire. Jesus in the darkness over every 
enemy and Jesus for my family I speak the holy name Jesus shout Jesus from the mountains Jesus in the streams Jesus in the darkness over every enemy Jesus for my family I speak the holy name Jesus Shout Jesus from the mountains Jesus in the streams Jesus in the darkness over every enemy Jesus for my family I speak the holy name Jesus Cause your name is power Your name is healing Your name is life Break every stronghold Shine through the shadows Burn like a fire Your name is power, your name is healing, your name is life. Break every stronghold, shine through the shadows, burn like a fire. Oh, thank you. What a delight to hear you singing and ministering to us in song like that. Now we're going to see some pictures, I think. Yes, we are. Okay.
and all I would do is forever, forever worship you. I can only imagine. Thank you, Caleb. I guess you and Nan put that together. Thank you very much. Um, I think it brought back a lot of memories, a lot of people. Well. I, sh I should just mention for you both that Roger and Janet Rice have sent an apology for not being able to be here today. Well, today we have heard many tributes to our beloved father, brother, friend, colleague, associate, boss, slave, whatever. But Daryl, being who he was, would be very disappointed if we didn't, at the same time today, pay tribute to his Lord and Saviour. I think if we went home and we'd only talked about him, he would be very cross. So, in talking with the family, uh, one verse of scripture that they really thought would be very appropriate would be Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, which simply says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. you find an expanded version of the verse inside the little the memorial card that you've been given. Very simple verse, it's, um, it's interesting, in Paul's original Greek, it's like a little poem. You want to hear what it sounds like in Greek? Greek what he said was, Emoiga tozain Christos, kai to apothanein kudos. Sort of a rhyme of two ain and os sounds there. Emoiga tozain Christos, to me to live as Christ, kai apothanein kudos, and to die is gain. I think that verse covers really a whole lifetime. Now, Paul originally wrote it when he was in prison for the sake of, because he preached the gospel. But when writing to his dear friends in the Greek city of Philippi, he frankly faces his death and with these words that we've just said, to me, to live as Christ. And people live for all kinds of things. And not much different from Paul's, uh, Paul's uh, day, I suppose, but certainly in our day, people live for music, for sport, for money, for ambition, for fame, for marriage, for sensual pleasure, for gain, for all manner of things. And what happens usually when we have anything like that, rather than living for Christ, we say we live for this, we live for that, and we often use that phrase, so we just live for food, we just live for sport or whatever. Then whatever that thing is, it actually affects everything else we do. And every other decision we make is made in the light of that. And so if money is our goal, then we will make decisions about anything and everything that tend to help us to get more money or more wealth. <clears throat> if revenge is our goal, for example, then everything we do will be centred around that, how will this help me to get my own back? So all the time, no matter what else we're doing, there's bubbling and seething in the back of our mind, uh, justifying our own, just, our own righteousness, uh, thinking about the wrong that's been done to us, and then that kind of delicious anticipation of uh, what happens when we finally get our revenge. A dream that usually becomes more like a nightmare. But that's, when we make one particular thing the object of our lives, it just frankly affects everything else. But for Paul, 
the apostle, his passion was Christ. And uh, I know Anne and Caleb and the rest of the family, friends who know him, we want to say that about Daryl as well. He had a passion, as you've clearly seen, for the children, the grandchildren, his wife, his uh, spiritual Christian brothers and sisters, and the world. He, he's a passionate person. And Paul wrote this in chapter three of, of uh, chapter three of Philippians: "Whatever gain I had, I counted for loss for the sake of Christ." It's a very powerful statement. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Now think about that, what that means. I count everything as loss, even the most precious things, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death. Note what he does not say. He does not say, I count everything as loss in order to get more money or in order to be better clothed or better fed or better loved or anything else. Uh, he has one commitment, that he may gain Christ. I think in our world, and it's been like this a long time, there's a common perception, common understanding that religion is all about doing good and being kind and being faithful and so on. While religion may be about those things, but the mistake we make is we think they are the primary thing and not the secondary thing. They are the secondary things. It's not those things that enable us to be found in Christ, but it's being found in Christ that enables us to do those things. And Daryl understood that very well. And I know this is the message he would like to have expressed here today. That true righteousness is found in Christ not the other way around. Greek philosophy, in Paul's day, used to say that man was the measure of all things. In other words, we evaluate everything by how it measures against humanity. If that's true, God help us. The Bible says that Jesus is the measure of all things. In other words, he is the gold standard. And everything else is evaluated by how it compares and how it lines up with the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's crucial that we know Jesus. And this was Daryl's message. And when I say Daryl, Daryl and Anne, of course, and people like Trevor and others who work with him, that was the message. Let's talk about Jesus. And so, in his walking, in his waking, in his leisure, in his freedom, in his standing, in his sitting, in everything, uh, Paul would say, to me to live as Christ. Um, and thinking about the teaching of Jesus, Jesus uh, said of himself that he was the water of life. In other words, true spiritual thirst is only nourished through Jesus. He said he's the bread of life. In other words, true uh, hun hunger is only truly satisfied, spiritual hunger only truly satisfied in Jesus. He said he was the light of the world. And whoever walked in... Uh, walk with him would not walk in darkness but in the light of life in other words again through Jesus we are led in a way that leads us out of sin and so it goes on And Jesus teaching he called himself the good shepherd who cared for the sheep he said that he was the resurrection and the life and people only found new life through him and these are all extraordinary claims he said he was the way the truth and the life and no one could come to the father except through him and think about the astonishing, all-embracive claims these are. 
They're claims that no ordinary human being could make. And Daryl understood that. He understood that in Jesus there was a person of whom there has never been any equal, any time, anywhere, any place in this whole world. And when God raised him from the dead, Paul says elsewhere how that God raised Jesus, he set him in his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above uh, all rule, all authority, all power, uh, all um, princedoms, all regality, and in fact, above above every name, not just above, but far above every name that is named. And he, he gave him that name, and he did all that for his church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In chapter 2 of Philippians, Paul writes of Jesus like this, For he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he took upon himself the form of a slave, and was found in fashion like a man. And being found as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him, gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess under the earth, on the earth, above the earth and uh, every knee should bow at that wonderful name of Jesus. And that was the Jesus of, of whom Paul wrote and he said, I will do anything in order that I might be found in Christ. And I remember um, Daryl in his book somewhere points out that people talk about finding Christ. He says, as far as I was concerned, he said, the Lord found me because I wasn't looking for him. And this is the profound truth that will be down to it, that, that it is all what God has done for us through Jesus. At the end of the day, it comes down to that, that we are to be found in him, and we accept his love as he reaches out to us. Jesus in the scripture is the eternal word. He's the creator of the universe. We look at the book of Revelation, we find he is presented from beginning to end of that book, used in symbolic fashion. But he is called the firstborn of the, uh, of the resurrection from the dead. That he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. <clears throat> that he, is the, uh, he holds the key of David and whatever he shuts, no one else can open. Whatever he opens, no one else can shut. He's depicted metaphorically uh, as having eyes that are like flames of fire. His face like desiccating desert sun that just, dry, just burns everything that is resistant to him. He is shown as someone having the word of God coming out of his mouth like a sharp sword that just divides things and exposes truth and exposes reality. He's described as someone whose voice is like the roar of many waters, yet at the same time like the calming sound of many harpers playing their harps. He is depicted as one of his feet of bronze, in other words, strong, powerful feet that tread down the enemies. And as we go through that book of Revelation, He's shown as a warrior returning from battle. His clothes just stained and drenched in blood. But on his thigh is written on one side the word of God, the other side faithful and true. And then out of his mouth again comes the sharp victorious word of God which conquers everything. And then he again rules the nations with a rod of iron. And at the end of the book we find him depicted as the bright and morning star, as the root and offspring of David, as the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, and then ultimately, Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And that was the Jesus that Paul said, I want to be found in him. And that was the Jesus that our dear brother Daryl served as well. <clears throat> and it's such a pity that so few people in the world understand Jesus like that 
and so often he is not simply presented in the right way, as we would like to see. But then Paul goes on to say, and just to finish off on this verse now, that not only um, is it living for Christ, but dying is actually better. That dying is gain. And, uh, and that's, a, that's a very profound statement, because you're in common thinking, of course, and dying is not all that popular. And the truth is that when it comes, let's say, money is our goal in life, well, the reality is that no matter how rich you are or how poor you are, you all take the same amount of money with you. So if we bring you back to the, so the, you know, the death is the great leveller. There's, there's no rich and poor in, in death. There's no strong and weak in death. It's just death. It levels everything. And Jesus warned us about that. He said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth which perish, but lay up treasures in heaven which are the outcome of your faith and your love and your, your following of Jesus. And I think if, if people had a better understanding of what happens after death, there'd be a big change in the way people live. And as that happens, we've conveniently now just dropped hell out of the picture. But most people, they don't believe in hell. No such thing. What do they believe in? Well, it doesn't matter who they are, what they've done. Uh, there's this nice sort of fuzzy, um, happy, saccharine kind of place somewhere where you go and, and everything's sweet and lovely. Yet when you think about that, uh, and I mean, it's sad, isn't it? You've seen the television eulogies and think some utter villain has died, but oh, it's all okay, he's up there floating around somewhere and enjoying life. But when you think about it, in the world also at the moment, at the time, at our time, there's a great cry for justice. And I think surely God is just as concerned about that. But this wishy-washy idea that people have of the afterlife is it really puts Mother Teresa and Joseph Stalin side by side in the same happy place. Or Adolf Hitler and Martin Luther in the same happy place. Uh, there's no justice in it. And so we come back to what Paul says and what... what uh, Daryl believed that there is a heaven and Christ is the glory of heaven. Christ is a lamp of heaven. In actual fact, if a lot of people went to heaven, it would actually be hell for them. Because the first thing that happens is you don't, as I said before, meet Daryl. First up, first of all, the first person you would come is the presence of Christ. Because he's the heart and soul of heaven. And people who don't like to be confronted by or associated with Jesus here on earth are not going to like it any better there. And in, in a strange sort of sense, heaven is itself a kind of a hell for those who don't love Jesus. Well, I didn't come here to preach about hell, but uh, you've got to, we've got to face these realities. And I know Daryl had no doubts about those things. But on the other hand, for those who do know Jesus and love Jesus, heaven is a place of astonishing indescribable extraordinary joy it's something kind of a joy we can only get glimpses of now C.S. Lewis made that point in some of his writings a book called Surprised by Joy in which he says that um, we, the reason why we're never satisfied on earth no matter what we get or have our earthly satisfaction is always short lived because we're not yet ready for heaven not yet in heaven 
because what we experience now, we eat, but then half, two or three hours later, we're hungry again. Oh, we, our team wins, and next week it loses. <laughs> you know, our emotions go up and down, and all that. But with Jesus, eternally is an everlasting and ever uh, reliable, trustworthy joy. And to just finish off on this now, one of the things that, that you know, Paul says here, you know, to, to live as Christ, but to die is gain. Now, when he's talking about death, he's in prison, and the most likely kind of death that Paul would have confronted there would have been death by execution, probably crucifixion. And crucifixion is one of the most painful, uh, agonizing forms of death that human beings have ever devised. And here's Paul, he says, I would be... I don't mind dying because even though I'd like to stay here with you in, in the presence of Christ, it doesn't matter if I die. And he's saying, I get crucified. It doesn't matter. It's all right. You think, Paul, are you serious? Nobody in their right mind would like that. But he wasn't looking at the crucifixion as the end of the story. It was just a little way along. Beyond that was the indescribable, eternal, everlasting joy that Jesus came to give us. And Christ died on that and himself was crucified. It was so that he might take our pain and our penalty, take it in himself so much so that when he carried our sins, the Bible says that he became sin for us. And his whole body was racked with the agony and the pain of, of guilt and despair and hopelessness that confronts everybody sooner or later without Christ. Well, it's basically a good message because it is, here's a message of hope. And even in a damaged, troubled, broken world, there is still light because Jesus is the light of the world. There's still eternal satisfaction because he is the water of life and the bread of life. Uh, there's still hope and, and direction because he is the way, he's the truth, he's the life. There's still a, a joyful anticipation of the days to come because in his presence is fullness of joy. And great news is that every one of us here today can know that joy and know that love and know that presence. Well, I know most of you do, but I would have been failing in my duty today if I hadn't told you all this because I know how Daryl would have felt if it hadn't been so said. So I want to pray now and just pray that we will share that faith and all of us here today know that same faith of Jesus. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you today for our dear brother Daryl. We know that like us he had his thoughts, but we know that like us he trusted in Christ for salvation. And we are grateful for the life he lived, now for the peaceful death that he died, knowing that to be with Christ is far better. So our prayer is that his death will speak to us even more richly than did his life, that we too can live for Christ in the sure and certain hope of eternal life. Pray, O oh God, that every single person here today will understand the good news, joyfully receive it, and that we shall all celebrate together in the love that we have found in Jesus Christ. We thank you in his name. Amen. We're going to sing again. Uh, we have um, a song that uh, Anne and Caleb chose uh, with their knowledge of Darrell's music, tastes, and so on. It's a beautiful song called In Christ Alone. And just to tell you a little bit about the song, it was written about the year 2001. Uh, it became in um, 2019, no, I'll just get the dates right because they're interesting. 
2006 on the uh, British uh, copyright charts, which keeps a record of all the songs that are used and, and sung and are properly owned up on, owned to, that it was number one in Britain in 2006 as the most popular Christian song. Um, in uh, 2013, it was sung at the enthronement of the Archbishop of Canterbury. In 2019, it was the number one song in the Songs of Praise program that appears on our television here as well as in England. And uh, there are various other awards and accolades given to this song. Beautiful song, it starts again talking about knowing Christ now and finishes up uh, again talking about that day when we all have to face the issue of death and then meeting Christ uh, in victory at the end. So let's stand together and sing with all our hearts this song. When we get to the exciting bits, sound excited. And thanks, Wendy. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease. My all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he Man. Can
power of Christ, I'll stand. Very much appreciate the Sterling Family Church for making their um, building available today. I'm going to ask Pastor Ben Benithan to come and now uh, give us a closing blessing, and then we'll have a couple more things after that. But this will conclude the service, Father. Would you bow your heads? We thank you, Lord, that we can gather here today. Help us to take something of what you have done in Pastor Darrell's life and carry it forward. Lord, we thank you for your blessing. We thank you, Lord. Make your face shine upon us. Lord, we thank you for your peace. Lord, we thank you that we can walk with you and hear your voice and obey your call. Lord, as we leave this place, we go blessed, knowing Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Please take your seats, if you would. I'm going to call on Mr. Randall Pierce now, who's uh, uh, here representing the Adelaide Hills Funeral uh, Service, and uh, he will tell you what happens now. After that, there will be afternoon tea served, I guess. Oh, I guess that's just at the back of the auditorium here. And uh, thank you again for being here today. Um, I know so many other people would love to have had a chance to tell their stories as well. I understand that uh, we just couldn't do that. But thank you for those who did. Thank you for everyone who helped. And uh, it was services very much put together by the family. And I think they did a very good job in what they've arranged for us today. Anyway, I talk too much, so I'll stop now. And I Randall over to you. Thank you. Just a few short announcements and some further direction from here. Now we're on. Uh, firstly, I'd like to thank everybody for being here today. I'm sure just being here has been a great comfort to the family. Thank you to Dr Barry Chant for leading us in this service today and for his Christian care, not only today but also leading up to this service as well. Thank you to our musicians for allowing us to sing the chosen songs. Thank you to Caleb and Anne for coming forward and, and presenting us with a eulogy and giving us a great insight into Barry's life and what a life it was as well. Thank you to Katie for your song and your tribute. I'm sure Pop would be very proud. Also, thank you to the Stott family for their uh, musical song as well. Uh, you've got a talented, talented family there, Anne. Thank you also to those other folk that came up and gave us tributes as well. Some great stories there too. Shortly the pallbearers will come forward. The weather has cleared. We were going to pay our last respects inside, but the weather has cleared just slightly, so cross our fingers on that. The pallbearers will come forward and we'll take um, Daryl's coffin to the hearse. And it's here where you'll be asked to pay your last respects by placing a, a sprig of rosemary on his coffin. It's after then, when the hearse is left, it will travel to Centennial Park where a private cremation will take place. You're then invited back into here for light refreshments, uh, tea and coffee, time to spend together. When I say light refreshments, I'm not too, too sure about that. I think there's plenty of food up there as well. So please enjoy your time together. So if I'd ask you all to please stand and for the pallbearers to come forward. Thank you. Thank you. 